have a Bible, um, you can find them at the end of the aisles, also in these chair pockets. Or if you have one, we're going to open to Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 18. We're going to read through verses 21. That's going to be on page 838. Page 838 in the Bibles we've provided. Now look, guys, if you're just joining us, uh, we've been examining what God has to say about our worship of Him. And each week we've covered some of the basics. Who are we worshiping? King Jesus. But who's involved? Not just me and you, but others. We worship Him in front of others, with others. That's an important element of worship that we've seen in the New Testament. When, uh, both in corporate gatherings, intentional corporate gatherings together, but also 24-7, 365, Monday through Saturday, worship. What is worship? We talked about it being loving Jesus back. And all that we do, loving Him back, provided that it's done to represent and to respond to Jesus. But specifically, the specific angle we've kind of looked at worship the last few weeks is the how of worship. Especially when we gather together, how can you and I respond to the Word of Life? How can we respond to Jesus' costly rescue mission that He went on for us? How can we respond to every gift of grace given to us through Jesus by God the Father? How are we asked to do that? And we're told in Scripture, we see it in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5, to use psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to sing to God and to address to one another. Psalms, we learn... It's like the basic vocabulary of worship. It's like in your Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of Worship. We have a hard time knowing what to say back to a great and awesome and holy God. Psalms give us the vocabulary to do that. And even to address fellow saints who are in the world but not of the world. We should talk to each other a little differently. Psalms give us a flavor of how to do that. Hymns have a teaching function. They're the most memorable, accessible, and enjoyable way to learn meaty truths about God, His great redemption plan, and who we are in Christ. I can give you a stack of theology books. You can listen to multiple sermons. You can also sing. What a blessing that is. And this morning, we have spiritual songs. We're going to discuss what makes up a, a spiritual song, but God has changed the plans a little bit as I've been meditating where we find this reference of spiritual songs here in Ephesians 5, because it's located in a very vivid but often misunderstood description of worshiping God together as one body. Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's stand together. Stand together with your Bibles. We're going to read this together. First, I'm going to pray, though, that we be able to receive God's Word. Father, even as we stand we acknowledge that we are in need of ears to hear. We are in need of hearts to receive, to absorb. We are in need of spirits to digest and apply what you would have to say to us this morning. Give us the ears. Give us the hearts. Give us the spirits to do those things as we read your word. And we ask that at the end of our time, there might be a little lab work to be done, a little bit of applying some of this to our lives. So we ask that you would help us be open to that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Ephesians 5, verses 18 through 21. Words from the Apostle Paul. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's Word. You may have a seat. Now, this passage, I think, helps us address three very important questions. Number one, who is the Holy Spirit? Two, how do I fill myself with the Holy Spirit? And thirdly, how do I know? How do I know that I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? First of all, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Katie and I were sharing a meal with Simon and Karen Thomas, who had not yet added Zachary to the mix, but they still had two very lovely, full personality young girls, and that's they're eligible to discuss the question of at what point do you move from talking to your kids about Jesus only to the Holy Spirit? As we're brainstorming different ways to explain the Holy Spirit, it's difficult to minds trapped in still concrete thinking versus abstract thinking. All right, so you, you try to focus on one member of the Godhead early on because it's hard for kids to get the whole three in one thing. And as we started to brainstorm of different ways to explain the Holy Spirit to our kids, we, we worked through the options. So, for example, you have the natural option like wind, right? Or, or also telling your kids, you know, the uh, force from Star Wars, which unfortunately start to relegate the Holy Spirit to an it instead of a him. That doesn't really work. And then we started to recognize, you know, it's great because the Son and the Father, God the Son and God the Father, have earthly reference, don't they? And so you see in sons and fathers, and kids can see, oh, it's like their relationship, a son and a father. We have a son and a father. There's a heavenly son and a father. But you don't have that comparison with the Holy Spirit. And it makes the Holy Spirit almost seem make-believe. And to some Christians, he is make-believe. And Simon, God bless him, he had a, just a, he landed on seeing the Holy Spirit as a ghostly minion. Which got, I love this idea. Like, it was the idea, the Holy Spirit, well, let's give him a, a reference in real life. So he's kind of like the crazy neighbor. He's like the neighbor who comes by, kind of mixes things up, gets in your fridge, moves things around. So, so that's where we landed that night, the ghostly minion. And it seemed, while, while enjoyable, and we were thinking of avatars for him, etc., it wasn't quite settling theologically. So we want to figure this out. Who is the Holy Spirit? He is a person who acts like a verb. When the Godhead acts today, he always does so through the Holy Spirit. It's always him, the Holy Spirit, who is acting. So we see... In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit acts. Or sorry, the Holy Spirit speaks. We see this in the book of Acts. And all the Scripture references will be up here. The Holy Spirit speaks. He intercedes. He guides. He appoints. He convicts. He seals us for our redemption, making sure that one day we will for sure be with the Father in heaven. He leads. He renews and regenerates us. 
He moves in to us. He moves in to the apartment, to the condominium of our hearts once we trust Jesus for salvation. And yet, according to what we read in Ephesians 5, once He moves in, He can expand, taking up more room in us. So first, the Holy Spirit's a person acts like a verb. And we get this little hint that He can expand after He moves in. How then do I fill myself with more of the Spirit? That's our second question this morning. And that might seem like a poorly worded question. When I say, wait a minute, how do I fill myself with the Spirit? Ryan, don't you mean, how does the Holy Spirit fill me? Not how do I fill myself? Well, yes and no. That's true. But Paul uses the imperative here. Which means he's, he's giving us a command. The kind of command like, jump! Go, run, flee from this place. Similarly, Paul says, be filled. In other words, it's a command. Believers are responsible for getting filled with more of God. It's something that you and I, if you trust Jesus, you are responsible for doing. It's a gift, yes, but it's wrapped in a command. This shouldn't surprise us because one of Jesus' favorite things to do is to offer a gift wrapped in a command. He frequently would ask people to step forward. And in their stepping forward, he would give them the gift of faith. So think about the uh, hemorrhaging woman in Mark chapter 5 who was healed. And then what does Jesus say? Who touched me? Who touched me? In this moment, he's given this woman an opportunity to step forward. And as she does step forward and say, it's me, and here's why I did it. And I was healed. She's granted faith, right? Or the paralytic man in Mark chapter 2, paralyzed. You ever notice he's not quite healed until Jesus says, stand? And upon that, that will of I'm going to stand, he's healed. So, Mark, so Jesus has this propensity to say, step forward. Step into faith. And I will give it to you as well. Does that make sense? So it's this gift wrapped in a command. And as we obey, the gift comes in as well, simultaneously. So since you and I are responsible to obey this command and be filled with the Spirit, we've got to get a little more familiar with it. It's a, it's a strange concept to us. The mere fact that we are commanded to be filled means that Christians face the danger of getting low, fuel tank going low, on the Holy Spirit. Low, but never completely absent. Running close to empty, but never gone. The Holy Spirit will always live inside those who trust Jesus. That's an important distinction. In fact, a helpful analogy I've used in the past, and I'm going to use more fully today, is the filling and leaking of a balloon. Right, a balloon is never really empty, is it? There are always molecules going around inside of it. It's never empty, but as you see in this days-old version of this balloon, the helium molecules have started to lag. They've started to decrease in activity, causing a person to sag right from the inside out. So gradually, this one's just getting lower. It's getting lower. So when I release it, it's sort of just, well, it is still working. (laughs) That was the idea. Let's pretend this isn't happening. Oh, do you hear that? Ah. 
just leaking, just leaking. We're giving into the things of the world, giving into our idols, falling into the patterns of thinking the world would tell us to fall into. And all of a sudden, the Spirit's influence starts to, starts to wane a little. Look at that. Look how sad that is. Yeah, it is sad. Did you feel that? And maybe you've come, maybe you come in here today and you feel like a leaking balloon. And there's good news. We have two options. If you're, if you're a leaking balloon, if you recognize that the, the, the power of God is not released fully in your life, you have two options. You can refill from the expert. So the balloon floats with no effort at all. So you get refilled again. And all of a sudden, you just fill it with no help at all. Release you. There we go. I don't know how I'm going to get that. But <laughs> I didn't think that through. <laughs> and there's two up there now because I tried an experimental one earlier. So interesting. we'll send some type of pigeon maybe. I don't know. Or you can try to refill on your own strength. Right? And we know that as well. You ever try to refill these balloons on your own strength, your own breath? Okay, I can't, I'm not going to do it, so I have a spare right here. Right? And, and you try to keep a balloon afloat, what happens? Comes back down. You ever play that game with kids? You just keep doing that over and over. And, that, and so all of a sudden, that's what life becomes. Your own efforts, your own strength, trying to keep your life afloat. It's such a good representation of what life is like. Either on your own strength, your own efforts in religion, I'll just do better. Self-help, self-motivation. I'm going to set goals. I'm going to do it. I'm going to look at Facebook quotes. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be fine. If you're pushing around your life trying to keep it afloat. Or, why not be filled by the expert? By the Holy Spirit? To give us the strength to do things we can never do on our own. And so this is the idea. Sometimes we can get low. But from within, the Holy Spirit can expand His influence to empower us. And this verb for be filled, which is pleuste, it's a present tense. It suggests this continual do it again. Do it again. Paul's talking to Christians. Be filled again. So it's perhaps it's less helpful then, as some Christians talk about the second experience called the baptism in the Spirit or the second blessing. It's far more helpful to seek God continually for a third, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth blessing, and on and on. Keep seeking Him. Keep seeking the Spirit to continue to fill you and expand inside you have this influence grow increasingly more in your life. Does that make sense? How then should we seek to refill? There's no formula. There's no exact formula like a vending machine God. But, there, but at the same time, the Scripture gives us a few good places to start. So firstly, ask. If you want the Spirit to fill full your life when you're low, ask Him to. Luke 11.13, Jesus says this, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now that's interesting because Matthew's Gospel says how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him. But here Luke says how much more will will the Father give the Holy Spirit specifically to those who ask Him? Why the difference? A gentleman named John Nolan suggests that Jesus was pointing to post-Pentecost after this time where the Holy Spirit descended to people who believed in Christ. And so that's what Luke chooses to highlight, that the greatest gift God can bestow 
to a supplicant is himself, the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift God can give himself. So since Jesus Christ gives us this exhortation to children of the Father, it can't refer then to a believer's first experience of salvation. It's the idea that it's this second, this third, this fourth. And so when Jesus says, the Father's going to give you this gift if you just ask him, he's talking to believers. So ask him, guys, ask him, fill me, Holy Spirit, fill me. I recall the first time I ever asked God to fill me with his spirit. Uh, I was, held out my hands like this and just asked him. And I did this because I wanted to line up physically what I was asking for spiritually. Right? Because sometimes we, we make too big of a division between our spirit and our mind and our hearts and what we do physically. And by holding out my hands, I was remembering, oh yeah, I'm asking God to fill me. That's why people do this when they do it, by the way. It's not some magical thing, but they're just affirming physically what they're asking for spiritually. If you've ever wondered that. So I was at this FCA event at university. We were about to take our finals. So everybody was feeling pretty low on energy, right? I remember this myself. I was like, man, so much studying. And as I held out my hands in worship, I asked the Holy Spirit to fill me full. And I just, before I knew it, I was so full of joy. So full of joy and full of the Spirit. I was actually laughing. I was, I was just sitting there singing and singing. All of a sudden, I was laughing. And as I laughed, I just began to thank God through a list, a laundry list of things in my life. That one guy who overheard me, one friend of mine, said, man, it was like you were reciting the world's largest Christmas list. Like you were just going through everything in your life that you had, how grateful you were for it. That's my experience. Might, might be yours as well. Could be. Number two, how should we seek to refill the Holy Spirit? Confess and repent of relational sin. Paul says earlier in Ephesians that we can grieve the Holy Spirit, specifically the Holy Spirit. Listen to the context, though, of what grieves the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, 29-31, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building others up as fits the occasion that I may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you and along with these malice. In other words, the context of grieving the Holy Spirit is all about how we sin towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. Anger, malice, corrupting talk that comes out of our mouth. Clamor. Just talking and talking about other people until something sinful gets kind of thrown in there. Bitterness. These are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So confess and repent of relational sins specifically. If you've hurt someone in here, if you've hurt someone in the body of Christ, confess it. Repent of it. Ask God to help you turn around. Thirdly, keep doing what the verses of Ephesians 5 say in verses 19 through 21. Keep doing these things, what they describe, which leads us to our third question. Number three, how can I tell I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? Here is where each piece of the Ephesians 5 puzzle really comes together, guys. One starts to make out the picture of spirit filling. And it's 
surprising that the analogy that Paul makes. Because he, he wants us to consider the prospect of getting drunk. Here in Scripture, getting drunk. That's Paul's contrast. He's trying to make a contrast between self-indulgence and God-indulgence. But why drunkenness? Why drunkenness? If if you read up earlier in Ephesians 5, Paul mentions a number of lifestyles of indulgence unfit for God's kingdom. Read up a little in Ephesians 5. Sexual immorality. He talks about impurity twice. Sexual impurity. Crude talk. Foolish joking. Coveting. Wanting what others have. All of which are are self-indulgences. And he's trying to say indulge in God instead. That's the contrast. But again, why drunkenness specifically? always wondered this. Why drunkenness specifically? So the question before us is, how can I tell I've been filled with the Holy Spirit? I want to turn the same question on drunkenness. How can you tell somebody is drunk? Alright? Let me ask you guys. How can you tell somebody is drunk? Okay, so the way they behave. They do things they wouldn't normally do, right? What else? Sorry, I didn't hear you, Greg. What did you say? And they say things they wouldn't normally say. That's a great characterization. You know somebody is drunk when they say things they wouldn't normally say, right? Like, what'd you say to me? What's that? Like that kind of thing? You know, what? Well, 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 it's not really you. It's not that you just need to grab a Snickers, right? There's something's going on. And you, you get lewd comments, body humor, personal attacks. Gossip, irrational assumptions like, I knew you always thought that about me. I knew it. Ever since I've known you. Right? It's been brewing in one's heart, and now it comes out through too many beers or too much wine. You do things you wouldn't normally do. Pick fights. You make moves on the opposite gender. All right? You get extra uh, affectionate or handsy at a certain hour, a certain amount of drinks. You cry, you laugh, you yell at things that are fairly insignificant. Yeah! You make up crazy songs like, for instance, you know, English Premier League football songs, things like that, and you sing them. All right? So that's the relationship Paul is establishing between drunkenness with alcohol and filled with the Spirit. I want us to see this. And you've got to put in your thinking caps here for a moment, okay? It's, it's results that accompany the real thing. If this is the real thing, then you'll see this. In other words, if someone is really drunk, you're going to see this. People doing things they wouldn't normally do, saying things they wouldn't normally say. All right, so wanting to get the same feeling as they get with drinking, some Christians have assumed that this is a one-to-one correlation. In other words, don't get drunk with wine, but get drunk on the Holy Spirit. And so people seek from the Holy Spirit this loss of control and feeling of ecstasy whilst desiring this out-of-body experience, right? Without the hangover later. And a few responses to that. I don't, one, I don't think that's what this means. If that's what Paul Manny would have said it, don't get drunk with wine, get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Instead, he says, filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, one of the fruits of the Spirit, one of the overflows of the Spirit is self-control. You're never called to be out of control of yourself, even when with God. Thirdly, Paul goes on to give what, what are called the participles of result that accompany the Spirit's feelings. 
filling. Sorry. These are the four ing words that Paul uses here in verses 19 through 21. Look again at your Bible. Verses 19 through 21, Paul uses all these ing words. Thinking, right? Submitting. And we explain it like this. When you live in Cayman long enough and listen well enough, you're going to hear stories about Hurricane Ivan. September 11, 2004. Someone shared this week with me how powerful it was to see with their own eyes what accompanies a real-life hurricane that they saw back in 2004. The whipping of wind, the toppling of trees, the damaging of roofs, flooding, helping, and sharing in the aftermath of it all. When there's a genuine hurricane, there is whipping, toppling, damaging, flooding, helping, and sharing. That's what happens. Similarly, when the Spirit fills a person full, there is addressing and speaking. There is singing and making melody. There is giving of thanks. There is submitting. Does that make sense? If it's genuine, this is what you're going to see. And this should help us. Because in other words, you're going to see when you're filled with the Spirit, saying things you wouldn't normally say or sing, doing things you wouldn't normally do. And Paul's saying, don't fill yourself up with that which results in saying and doing rude and lewd things that you wouldn't normally say and do. Instead, fill yourself up with the Spirit through whom you can say truth when it's not popular. Encourage when there's only despair. Give thanks in a culture of complaint. And do things relationally that almost no one else does, certainly the world we live in. Submit. Submit to one another. So in summary, you can tell you've been filled with the Holy Spirit when you A, say spontaneous words that contain unnatural messages for others. Unnatural in that you would never say them on your own strength. You're going to do regular works that express an unnatural relating to others. And you're going to do it all for the glory of Jesus. So let's break this down here. First, you're going to say spontaneous words that contain an unnatural message from others. This is a, there's just addressing each other in psalms and hymns, but also spiritual songs. And so what is that? What are spiritual songs? The two leading students, two leading students, I should say, not the two. The two leading students in the New Testament. Leon Morris, F.F. Bruce, have great things to say about this. F.F. Bruce says, spiritual songs are unpremeditated words sung from the Spirit. Leon Morris, very similarly, spontaneous outpourings of praise under the leading of the Holy Spirit. So this is interesting. And then we see this actually happen. So I'll give you an early church example. Second century, an important church father named Tertullian was talking about a Christian love feast at which... Each is invited. This is what he said. Each person's invited to sing to God in the presence of others from what he knows of the Holy Scripture and from his heart. Like, who does that now? Right, so I'm going to put on an invitation. Guys, come out to a Christian love feast next Monday. You're like, wait a minute. Do I have to sing from the Scripture I memorized and from the heart? Because I don't want to do that. Right? Rarely people do this today. Except when you're filled with the Holy Spirit. These things you never would say, you never would sing, start to happen and overflow from His infilling in your life. What does that mean for our worship services? It means that worship leaders should plan under the direction of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean they just get up here and be like, do that, do that. I think God's saying this to you. 
do not but be bop. <laughs> I got a verse over here for you. That's not really, I think, it. You, you plan in the direction of the Holy Spirit. And this connects what we studied last week. All these hymns developed from 40 to 100 A.D., known so well that on four different occasions as Paul was writing the New Testament, a large part of it, the Spirit brought to his mind a hymn. And he wrote it down, a known hymn, a hymn that was used to plan a worship service. But it also means, as we sing things like psalms and hymns, there are times when the Holy Spirit will bring a spiritual song. He gives a leader spontaneous words to sing for the purpose of encouragement, for the purpose of conviction, for the purpose of leading. This should happen among us as well as the whole worship team, the body of Christ, the true worship team. All right? You might think to pray for someone. But when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you actually walk up to them and ask if you can pray for them. All right? So you might think, wow, you know, when I read this scripture, I thought of Michelle. I thought of Jeremy. I thought of Susie. I thought of Pastor Ryan. But then when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you actually walk up to them and share it and address them. These are the kinds of things that happen when you're full of the Holy Spirit. You also begin to sing, you begin to make melody, and you begin to notice grace. In the same measure, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with this attentiveness to grace. Right, so this amazing verse, 2 Corinthians 2.12, now we have received the Spirit who is from God, I'm just going to read this, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So we receive the Spirit to notice the grace of God in our lives such that as we inhale the grace around us, we just naturally exhale thanksgiving with all of our lives. That's a natural response to to, to grace when we notice it. So we thank God in everything we do. It's, it's, It's unnatural in the world we live in, right? In a complaining culture. I want to say that especially, there's two groups I was thinking about this week. Those you live in a professional, or you work in a professional environment, where there's backbiting, there's complaining, and also mothers uh, of young kids who often feel like they've got to complain. Sometimes it's because of how weary you are, which I get. When you're filled with the Spirit, you're just thankful for your own kids, for others' kids. You're thankful for the job you have. So you say things you wouldn't normally say, but you also do regular works that express an unnatural relating to others. We get to a curious phrase here in verse 21. Track with me here. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When you take that and the verses that follow, look at, look at just briefly the verses that follow. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, that's followed by relationships in which submission is required as you get through Ephesians 6. Wife and husband, child and parent or father, slaves and masters, and I think principally you can say employee and employer there, principally. Now, thinking cap moment here. I'm warning you. There's been historically two interpretations of verse 21, the idea of submitting to one another, and the relational verses that follow. And this is very important. One, there's the idea of mutual submission, the idea that God's reversing his normal order of relationships just as Jesus has humbled himself and served us. So husbands are also to submit to their wives. Fathers are also to submit to their children. Masters are also to submit to slaves. That's one interpretation. Or, the second interpretation is there's a divinely arranged submission. So Paul is saying, submit to one another. Here's how. And he gives all these examples and relationships. This would be keeping to God's order of relationships just as Jesus submitted to the Father and the Holy Spirit submits to Jesus. 
Now, I personally favor the latter for a couple of reasons. That, that, that Paul is saying, look, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's how in all these real-life relationships. Firstly, submission literally means to arrange under. In every instance in the New Testament, we hear this word submission. It always carries the overtone of authority and submitting to it. All right? Secondly, the context. Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6 don't say submission for husbands, for fathers, for masters and bosses. They use different words. Love. Do not provoke. Raise and bring them up. One key verse here is 1 Corinthians 11.3. I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ. The head of every wife is her husband. The head of Christ is God the Father. In other words, the idea is a wife would submit to her husband, and a, and a husband submits too, but he submits to Christ. That's why husbands are commanded to love Christ, or sorry, love their wives as Christ loved the church. He's the example they look to in self-sacrificially loving their wives. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there's an unnatural submission in your closest relationships. Despite a society that preaches the person's rights is most sacred, individual autonomy is divine law. So when someone's filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to see women, you know, kind of get flush, but talk about submission with other women. But most people don't, do they? They don't talk about, oh, I, I, I just want to love and support, respect and submit to my husband. Who says that? Men don't talk to other men about uh, their weekend getaway with their wives in terms of, you know, we're just going to get away. I want to self-sacrificially love and lead my wife. That's why I'm gonna, I want to get her away on this trip. No, men don't talk to men that way. They say, I just got to do this to keep her happy. Don't they? That's really how we speak. Or worse, I got to do this because or else, fill in the blank. All right. Children run, run their parents' lives. They increasingly treat them like peers. And parents let them. Parents have substituting yelling for discipline other children. Because after all, it's my energy, my time, my right to be happy. So I'm going to sit in my chair. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to yell at you. But when there's a filling of the Spirit, wives take the risk of a gentler tone in an attempt to please. Husbands take the dish towel and the laundry basket out of their spouse's hands. They take over the play date and suggest that their spouse get a massage, which actually took place in my marriage this week. And if you know, yeah, well, yeah, you say, and you should say amen, yes, yes. And, and to really clap here for the Holy Spirit, because if you know me, you know that's the filling of the Spirit, and not natural me, Ryan. Children surprise their parents asking how they can help. Younger people respect older men as fathers, honor older women as mothers in the family of God. Fathers seek to encourage and raise up children, just like the Father said to Jesus, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That's what fathers impart on their kids. Bosses looked at the example of Jesus that he gave to his disciples, equipping and preparing them for their good, not for yours. This was the biggest surprise to me of meditating on spirit filling in Ephesians 5 the last few weeks. I expected all tongue speaking, hands weaving, aisle dancing, hands waving, aisle dancing, right? Hallelujah shouting. Like that's what being filled with the Spirit is all about. But here it is, empowerment for regular but unnatural relating. To glor- all to glorify Jesus. So let me just say this in a nutshell. Seek Holy Spirit refills so you might say spontaneously and do regularly what you naturally wouldn't. Okay? 
say that again. So you Holy Spirit refills. So you might say spontaneously and do regularly what you naturally wouldn't to the glory of Jesus and the benefit of others. I think this, by the way, is a magnificent corrective that Paul gives here to saints on different ends of the spectrum. Each, each time we gather together, guys, each of us seeks a particular experience. We're in danger of seeking a particular experience from God. So some of you here, let's seek a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And you think, actually, I'd rather just be reminded of God's love and that he wants to generally bless me in all things. That's good enough for me. Right? So you want the experience of security. Or you say, man, I'm here primarily just because I want my kids raised in the church. And you want to experience leaving a legacy, a good legacy. Or you say, man, oh, Holy Spirit, I prefer you just stick to your mission statement. Introduce people to Jesus. And you prefer that comfort of the familiar. Or others of you here today, you know, we're going to ask, seek, and live for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. And you're like, yes, hallelujah, Shekinah glory. That's what you want. You want the feeling of being intoxicated by the Holy Spirit, the experience of ecstasy without the hangover. You want to see healings performed, prophetic words come true. You want to experience your mind blown, right? You, you want to sense something specific from God, like comfort, awe, brokenness, satisfaction, those chill bumps. You want to seek, and you're in danger of seeking a particular experience God can give, but not necessarily God himself. Here's what I want to close with. This exhortation and challenge to those accustomed to seeking the Spirit's filling who maybe hope for the miraculous every time they come to Sunrise Community Church and gather together. How's your marriage? How's your marriage? How are you specifically encouraging your children? What do you do to honor those who are older in the faith? Fathers and mothers in Christ. How do you speak and relate at work, especially to your boss? If you find yourself lacking here, get around such people more. Get around them. Imitate. Watch their lives. Because these are those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Similarly, to those scared to follow and be filled with the Spirit, I say this. Spontaneous singing during worship. Someone approaches you with a scripture they sense the Holy Spirit wants to give you. The pastor or worship leader asks you quietly to listen to God, what he might want to say to you. Don't fear. If it's truly the Holy Spirit, it will merely point you to Jesus and make you more like Jesus.